Howdy, howdy. It's Saad. And this is Sherry Orr. This is episode 19 of Hot Pocket. Wow. And we're doing a big info extravaganza. Yeah, it's going to be one of them episodes. One of them. So put on your learning hats and your glasses, you fucking nerds. Yeah. We've done Cuba. We've done Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And I think... Oh, OnlyFans. Yeah, that was another in-depth one. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're talking fast fashion. You heard it here. Let's get right to it. Merriam-Webster defines fast fashion as an approach to the design, creation, and marketing of clothing fashions that emphasizes making fashion trends quickly and cheaply available to consumers. To many people, this phrase means trendy clothing for affordable prices. But to the garment workers and citizens of Bangladesh, fast fashion means unlivable wages and unsafe working conditions. Bangladesh is the second largest producer in the garment industry after China and is home to more than 8,000 garment factories. Insane. The clothing produced makes up 83% of the country's total exports. Which is absurd. With more than 4 million Bangladeshi citizens working in these factories, the stability of the nation depends on the industry, which is controlled by the global West. That's from the Borgen Project. We did rip that from there. Mm -hmm. So we're going to use Bangladesh as a pretty quick way to understand some of the problems with fast fashion. Who's primarily working in these garment factories that makes all your fast fashion clothes? Women. And children. And children. On average, they make, and this is a pretty big range, anywhere from $25 to $75 a month. Yeah. And child labor starts from ages 11. That's, That's what they start. But there's, there's, I've read reports where it's younger because yeah. families who have people working in those factories, who get hurt in those factories, can't work in factories, so they send their young kids out. 25 to $75 a month yeah. seems like, you know, Bangladesh, the taka, the currency there. Right. One taka is point zero one two dollars. I mean, surely that's a that means they're they're living large, right, share? You know, one would think that that the big mighty dollar would go really far in a country like Bangladesh, but that's not the case. I can use the purchasing power parity, right? Basically, they take a basket of goods in that's readily available throughout the world and they kind of compare that to take an average of it throughout the world and kind of compare it to where where their currencies are aligned with say the dollar right and it kind of gives you an evaluation of oh this country's currency is highly valued or lower lowly valued lowly uh, lower valued value low valued lower uh, yeah you Just change you it around it. a little bit yeah there it is and that kind of gives you a sense of like how the currency is doing now, one would think that, oh, the dollar is way more than the DACA. So, you know, products over there, the $25, $75 a month should be good to go. But that's not the case because we don't know what's going into making those products, how much those products are going to be worth. Let's make it very succinct. If you take, okay, I'm into video games, right? Mm -hmm. So I follow video games use a lot. A lot of video game products like consoles or games in the UK and Australia cost a lot more. Even after you like exchange the currencies. Right. They like what costs three hundred dollars here ends up costing four hundred dollars there. Mm -hmm. So again, every country just because there's an exchange rate that doesn't account for how much goods are actually costing. Them. Right now, environmental concerns. Which are, there's a lot. There's a lot. I think that's something people generally understand with fast fashion. Right. Oh, it's bad. Yeah. So let's read from the Borgen Project again. The cheap prices of fast fashion cause severe environmental consequences in Bangladesh. Textile production creates 1.2 billion tons of greenhouse gas emissions every year and consumes a lot of water. Furthermore, in order to produce clothing quickly and inexpensively, the garment factories use toxic dyes and chemicals. 
These chemicals are then released into nearby rivers, polluting the water supply. The World Bank estimates that around 20% of wastewater worldwide comes from textile dyes. 20% worldwide from just one sector of the economy. Yeah, that's insane. That's fucking crazy. Chemicals released into the water supply increase disease among Bangladeshi citizens. Yeah, so so here we go. You like that new dress you saw? You're gonna buy it, but the you cost get of, railed in it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That's why you want it because you want Chad to notice you. Chad's gonna notice you, and also you're just gonna poison a kid in Bangladesh yeah. as well. And also, we are egalitarians. Men also buy suits to get railed in. Yeah, there we go. E- equality. Equality. So one, we have to consider how fast fashion supply chains are managed yeah most of that shit is subcontracted out to somebody else to a third party so for example zara does their own thing but they source their fabrics from a third party company in let's say morocco i know they use morocco a lot right right? so technically legal liability zara can be like oh no no i don't run that Mm mm-hmm they run that, mm-hmm. so take it up with them. Yeah. Even though Zara is pretty responsible for everything, no, it's, it's a it's literally just a third arm of yeah. theirs that they're just not responsible. It's a for. scapegoat. Yeah. So back taking a little walk through history, the working conditions in because you know we're focusing at least right here on Bangladesh is that in 2005, a factory in Dhaka, which is one of their main cities, I think, I think it's, it's the capital, capital. Yeah, it's capital, capital of uh, Bangladesh, a factory collapsed and killed 65 workers. Okay, it stopped after that, right? No. Oh, in no. 2010, five years later, a factory file, fire sorry, killed 26 more. And then in 2012, it killed, like another fire killed 12. And then, the, I guess the most famous one or the most well-known one. this was very one, recent. I don't know the exact year, yeah, but it's very recent. The Rana, Rana Plaza building collapsed and killed over 1,000 people. 1,000 1, 138 to be exact. These are workers, primarily women and children. Yeah. And this who is what make, they accounted for. Yeah. This is what they account. We don't know. Mm. This is not accounting for like people who just die like on the assembly line. Right. People who get diseases from the environmental problems or from working directly in there. Yeah. Quality of life getting worse. Mm-hmm. There's like so many offshoots that we just don't understand. Over a thousand lives lost because a fucking yeah. building collapsed. And what, whoever they, whoever the m- main parent company was, they didn't get held responsible yeah. because they used these third-party systems. And, and, like, these countries, they have no other option. Like we just said, the exports are 80% of, well... In Bangladesh. Yeah, in Bangladesh, it's 80% of their exports as textiles. Yeah, they're pretty reliant on this for the economy. Yeah. And to be clear, I think in the case of the Rana Plaza building multiple of these companies use it for like a lot of them do kind of share resource in that sense yeah so that's pretty bad i think we should also consider covid Mm -hmm. covid caused a problem where especially the very beginning of the pandemic and i think things might be a little bit different now but a lot of orders were canceled to start of covid because supply lines got shut off because everyone's just trying to get their shit together Mm -hmm. like i'm talking like march and april of 2020 yeah y'all remember that time you know, we need to start working from home or whatever. God. Yeah, we couldn't find toilet life paper. Sucked. Yeah, couldn't find toilet <laughs> That was fucking insane, by the way. You're the fucking, the, I need fucking double ply. man. Do you look at the size of me? You don't think I don't need double ply? Use a lot, bro. Use a lot. Honestly, yes. <laughs> so basically, many orders were canceled. When you cancel orders and a company loses profits, who do you think bears the brunt of that? I don't know, the people working and not getting paid? The motherfucking workers, people who are already barely getting by. Now you're cutting off their income for what months, income they had the very little income that they had and then the states for example bangladesh is demanding that okay you need to like repay these people for time lost yeah 
And then most of these companies have not done that. No. Why would they? Why the fuck? They don't need and to. And I, I think you guys might actually remember there was like a protest and you know how like we've bagged on this before, like infographs and colorful things. But I, rem- I do remember seeing that mm-hmm. for Bangladesh because they were, I think the Kardashians were in on this because their like line was there, but that's a separate, separate thing. Yeah. But women, they are working, weren't paid. Yeah. So it's all about, you know, corporate social responsibility, all that bullshit. But then half the time, they don't put the money where the mouth is. Yeah. So it only took us 10 minutes, but yeah. we covered everything wrong with fast fashion. Yeah, pretty much. So subscribe, like, follow, share, yeah. like. This we'll has been episode 19. Been episode 19. We'll see you next time, guys. All right. Psych! There's okay. a lot more to get There's into. There's way more. So the reason we kind of did that in jest was that environmental stuff and work stuff i mean you take anybody off the street who just has a basic idea of what fast fashion is Mm -hmm. they could tell you that same stuff just because me and share like gave you extra like details does not like fundamentally change your understanding yeah i don't need 50 bullet points on why fast fashion is bad for the environment to understand that fast fashion is bad for the environment and so in all the research i did for this episode that we both did for this episode we were like reading a lot of stuff yeah they're all saying the same fucking thing over and over and over and over it's like it's not getting a deeper understanding of what this is it's kind of like a like we just mentioned about the whole bangladesh thing like the overarching topics is workers get exploited yeah environment gets destroyed people die and it's just a bad situation all around just to satisfy the global west yeah that's pretty much it so as we do on hot pocket we're gonna go deeper we're gonna connect dots we like to go deep i love to mm, how deep <laughs> two <Real> inches <laughs> i don't mean to uh, <laughs> i don't i don't mean to don't brag, brag i don't mean to <laughs> i don't see you doing any better in the booty department we're gonna start with zara yeah because zara gives us a really good way of understanding the actual business model mm-hmm. and what is required to make that business model work. And we're not talking about your cousin Zara. We're not talking about your cousin we're Zara. We're talking about your cousin fuckboy who goes to Zara to who shop. Who goes to Zara. Yes. Hey, we go to Zara. Hey, listen, yeah, we, listen. Can, we can make a joke. Yeah, we'll make the joke. <laughs> Zara is a Spanish fashion brand under the parent company Inditex. Inditex is the parent company. Yeah. It has a few others. And it was founded in 1974 by Amancio Ortega. Spanish billionaire. Right. I think he actually did have a pretty genuine come up story. Yeah. He like rags to riches, but now he's, you know, fucking. Yeah. And it's cool to a point. And then you're like, oh, wait, oh, you, you're now that you're there, you're like really fucking people. Yeah. So, what makes fast fashion model a fast fashion model? Insane turnaround mm-hmm. is the name of the game. Yep. So, think about it this way traditional clothing retailers pre plan their lines years not years like months up to a year they got catalogs yeah they got whole catalogs it's usually like they usually do it seasonally so like four or five months right and so they buy everything in bulk wholesale produce everything for their line Mm -hmm. put it out there in massive numbers and they're very reliant on advertising to make sure that people want to get it exactly i'm making the effort to put this shit out there but i need to make sure like i sell as much as possible do as much advertising as possible get you to buy it and then whatever's left over in excess Mark it down. Yeah. Cool. Fast fashion is a bit different. And Zara has been very upfront about what they do. Instead of these longer periods of like four to five month cycles, mm-hmm. they do this shit in like two weeks. Yeah. Instead of producing in like bulk, in huge numbers, they'll produce a couple hundred. Yeah. In two weeks. Yeah. They put it out there. It goes, it gets bots. They keep looking and tracking, okay, what else? What do people want next? What do people want next? Think of it this way. Let's use Nordstrom as an example of traditional retail. Right. 
Nordstrom has to get you to buy Nordstrom? their shit. Nordstrom? Is no. it Nordstrom? It's Nordstrom. Is it Nordstrom? Don't, don't fuck. Sad. Oh my god. What, what did you think Sheen was? Shine? Oh my god. Listen. <laughs> Oh, you have your day <laughs> yep. now. I got you've it been, for that last fucking episode where he called me out for my been, for my languages. You've issues. been sitting on this for weeks. Nordstrom, what the Nord fuck are you, man? Nordstrom, excuse yeah. me, I'm Nordstrom, dumb. Yeah, Nordstrom. So Nordstrom, Nordstrom will advertise it. They make you want to get their shit. Yeah, the shit that they already have predetermined. It's like I'm, I'm already gonna make this no matter what. I'm gonna make you buy it. Mm -hmm. Zara follows the trends. Yeah. So one of like the main things I think people generally understand is that if, say, Kim Kardashian wears something that goes viral, like on a red carpet, Zara and other fast fashion brands will have a copycat of that that's very cheap. Right out the ass. Out in like 15 days. Maybe even less. Maybe even less, honestly. The way they typically do that is that they produce very small samples of the things that they're working on, and they'll run it through algorithms. Yeah. And the designers at their main centers will be like, Okay, do we think this is going to market test well? Do we think people are going to buy this like immediately? Yeah. If it doesn't, they scrap it. They go on something else. That's why they are very light and agile in everything that they do. They don't do a lot at once. Yeah, they're real quick on it. Their algorithms see what's popping, what's really trending or who's trending and release stuff. But also I want to touch what you just mentioned earlier about their two-week turnaround mm -hmm. and like they're releasing not like a whole catalog of like where Nordstrom and some other companies do. They're releasing a limited amount. So yeah. what does that do? That increases the demand for yes. it. If you're releasing a ton of it, it's kind of like the sneaker resale business, it's right? Exactly what it, it's literally what it is. is. It's Nike releases the Jordans and they're only releasing a certain amount, boost the price for it. The demand goes through the roof because it's a limited thing. It's like an art of no. It's not. It's not like it is an artificial. That's inflation. definitionally yeah. artificial scarcity. Yeah, they're they're doing this on purpose. Yeah, their pricing is not based on because you know for traditional retailers again using the Nordstrom example, the pricing of that is theoretically based on how much it costs to make that like cardigan, right? right? Versus for Zara because they're making such limited amounts and they're doing it based off trends like oh people really like this kind of design right mm -hmm. now they can kind of jack whatever price that they want up to a certain point yeah. of course. And if you want to rewind our podcast real quick go back to what we just mentioned how many how much Bangladeshi workers make it's yeah. $25 to $75 a month yeah so you can you can their labor costs are stupidly low stupid but they're low. just inflating the prices I mean yeah. that's that's business that's I mean the that model. is just business you know so what I mean? a lot of uh, let's let's get ahead of this. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about with fast fashion is not unique to fast fashion. It's just business. It is not unique to fashion. It's just business. Yeah. Let's talk about the supply chain real quick. Vertical integration is basically okay. Like I'm going to use fashion for example because obviously we're talking about fast fashion. Vertical integration would mean you own the cotton, mm -hmm. like the cotton farms. You own where the cotton is refined. You own the trucking company that delivers cotton. You own the workers. You own the workers. <laughs> you own the the factory and the supplies that dye the cotton and color the cotton. Now, I, I could keep going you on. You get and on. where this is going. You own it's like every step yeah. of the process. Yep. Zara technically, technically doesn't do a lot of that, but it's more so about what they do have. They control that shit so tight. Control is the name of the game yeah. with the business model. So they have a central manufacturing and distribution center called the Q. That is some fucking dystopian shit yeah. right there. That is from a fucking movie. You so, know what's even more dystopian? <laughs> please, please educate them on the size of this cube. Bro. Okay. The cube is 464,500 square meters. That is 5 million square feet. And it's 
automated with underground monorail links to 11 other Zara-owned clothing factories within a 10-mile radius. Brother, that is fucking insane. That's insane. Again, this is in Spain. All the raw materials pass through the cube and on their way to the clothing factories, and all the finished goods pass through there and they go through the stores. This is like the the nucleus. This is, they've built this, bro. They built this motherfucker. Yeah. And if, if you want to know anything, when a large corporation has their own distributing centers... Like that big? Like Walmart. There's Walmart distributing centers from Walmart stores. Like I think it's like not more than 20 miles. Yeah. So they can just... They own it, bro. They just so much of it. They just get it out when they want to. Yeah. It's so insane. that's the distribution center. Where does the supply, the fabric come from? Primarily from Spain itself, mm-hmm. Portugal, Italy, Turkey, Morocco, Cambodia, China, probably some others. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty, but I think, oh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, of yeah. course. And I would imagine India. The way it's described is that about 50% of the manufacturing happens in Spain. 26% happens in Europe. 24% happens in both Asia and Africa. Mm-hmm. That's from like Zara's own statistics. They're only talking about what they do in-house. Yep. I would imagine that they're not counting subcontracted companies who are in more African and Asian countries. Right. And also this goes back to basically the, the topic for at least Zara is the control that they have. So it's like there's not many ways to verify oh 50 percent does happen in spain yeah. or other places it, they might they might be it's their numbers they, they tell with, us what they want you're working within a margin there's a lot of like legal murkiness to yeah. obfuscating that the way this fundamentally worked the whole benefit of it Again, I want to use Nordstrom as an example. Nordstrom will pre-commit to their fashion line and business model about 50% of the resources. We know 50% of the resources for the next six months are going to go for this thing, right? Mm-hmm. For Zara, and I would imagine this is similar for other fast fashion brands, it's more like 15%. Most of it is not like long-term planning. Most of it is like literally on the spur, on the dot. Yeah, because they want to capitalize on whatever the trends are, whatever is happening. That's their exact business model. That's how they make money. Yeah. It's to stay on top of it. That's why they don't do wholesale buying to the same extent. They buy in much smaller amounts, Mm -hmm. which I have seen, because again, in my research for this, I've read some stupid reporting. A lot of stupid Stanford students yeah like, man these these graduate students are some morons <sighs> let me tell you so they they take that because it's like oh traditional fashion buys in much larger amounts mm-hmm. and then there's a lot of excess and stuff that doesn't get sold fast fashion buys in lean amount has a lot less like fluff at the end oh and that must be better for the environment well, no, because they're buying less way more often. Yeah. Because they're churning out every couple, every like 10 days, yeah. really. And they're constantly testing and, and vetting new things. And also like the consumer base they're feeding to is people who like want new clothes every two weeks. Oh, yeah. You're changing out your shit all the time. Yeah, you see the new Netflix trend or you know some some new show on yeah. netflix like oh i want to i want to i want to be i'm in an 80s mood 70s mood yeah. for and then the next very next day you're like oh shit peaky blinders is cool yeah I'm using myself as an example have you seen the, the shein halls yeah bro it's influencer is literally a job now yeah. their their content is all based on what is buying happening. a shit ton of clothes yeah buying a shit ton of clothes doing shein halls making videos like oh this swimsuit was so cute got it from shein got it from this place got it from that place and that also is just part of not just their influencers' business model, but the fucking companies use them as yeah 
publicity. They're brand ambassadors. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, brand ambassador. So I want to hit the subcontracting thing real quick. Within a few hours of their primary headquarters, and we are going to talk about their primary headquarters. It's mm-hmm. not the Cube. The, the Cube is something else. Their primary headquarters is fucking insane. They have five factories owned by a different company in Spain that works on most of their denim products, like jeans. Okay. That shit, right? So again, I, and there is no technical legal liability for Zara about what happens in these because they are owned by another company technically. Okay, but they're like contracted with them. It's not just, yeah, they're contracted with them. And more importantly, because of the amount of output that Zara demands, mm-hmm. a lot they're like the, that's just like a third, that's just like their wing. It's their wing on Zara's end, but also for that third party smaller company, it's like, we they're have only spent pro- so much time in producing for them. Zara, yeah. We can't really take on anybody else as a client. Right. So effectively, this is just like a, a, Zara, a Zara factory. Com- yeah. But legally, they get to avoid that. And so this was a problem. This has been constantly a problem for Zara in Brazil. In 2011, AHA, and I don't know the, what the acronym is for that. The contractor reportedly responsible for 90% of Zara's Brazilian production was found to have subcontracted work to a factory employing migrant workers from Bolivia and Peru in sweatshop conditions in Sao Paulo to make garments for the Spanish company. Workers were found to be working 16 to 19 hours a day with little time off and in debt to their traffickers, sex trafficking and the human trafficking. 14 of the workers were Bolivians and one was from Peru, one was 14 years old. So with the contract, so the subcontractor had subcontractors. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it's up. and but you know what, Zara can feign ignorance to be like, I don't, I didn't own know them. what they were yeah. doing, but and, they know exactly what they're doing. And that's exactly the legal excuse that they use when this happened, and they keep avoiding like lawsuits from the state of Brazil, yeah. from the country of Brazil, because like, oh, this is not me, but it's like all the work is going to you, all your profits are a function of yeah. this. Yeah, you just got to follow the trail. You just got to follow the, the money. Yeah, and again, I'm gonna keep bragging on like the the reports and articles I read. These idiots like took that face on. You're like, oh, well, Zara said this. It must be true. And I was like, aren't you like a graduate student at Stanford? Like, uh, literally, I'm reading like master's theses from like Stanford students about yeah. this. Like, aren't you supposed to be like the best of the best? No, because they're puppets. They're of, puppets. of the system. They're going to be. Like, Zara has enough power to throw around yeah. their money and silence so many different things. So they kind of have to play within the system where it's like, whoa, here's. We're kind of pointing you to the right direction, but we're not going to blame Zara for it because. They have the money to and the publicity to do what they want. So I want to put a pin on this idea that Zara does not know what's happening. Because obviously, like, at face value, (laughs) it doesn't take, like, half a brain to realize, like, they probably know. Yeah, come on. But it's a lot more insidious and cynical than that. Oh, yeah. I want to take a second to talk about, as I mentioned before, the parent company, Mm -hmm. Inditex. We keep harping on this idea that they follow trends. That Zara has to figure out what people want in order to produce these things that they can sell for like these stupidly arbitrary prices Mm -hmm. because if people don't want that shit they're not going to buy it their whole business model is predicated on like we got to like precisely know it's got to be accurate it's gonna be super accurate yeah sure how do you think they do that just by knowing how the world works now i Mm -hmm. just feel like you know when you're thinking of something or you search something yeah and then you get an ad for it yeah it's that that's literally what it is yeah so much of the fast fashion model is built on data analytics machine learning predictive behavior all those memes about like oh i was talking about brushing my teeth and then i won instagram and got an ad for arm and hammer yeah no dude it's it's that i know i know people are like you know you kind of get annoyed by the, the the marketing that you get in your email and like when you're on an app it's like don't track me whatever but that's specifically for this reason because 
data and personal data and just what we're doing and what we're searching Mm -hmm. is like gold to these companies because they want to know the trends. They want to know consumer behavior, what matters to us because they want to target us directly, bro. Like absolutely directly. That's why, that's why AI is there. They created AI, not to just advance technology, but to really have technology learn human behavior yeah. and be like so you could profit this is off what of it sherry is gonna search this in the morning yeah. or that and, and then it's learned and it's, it's literally learning about what you're searching yeah so that's kind of what we wanted to focus on this episode in general like again environmental stuff labor stuff obviously very important yeah but i think people generally have an idea of that i don't think people really understand how much like data and silicon valley and tech is involved with Fast fashion. Yeah. Fast fashion would not work without that. No, not at all. So I was talking about the headquarters before. Zara's right. headquarters is fucking insane. They call it the data center. Sounds about right. It, I mean, it literally is. It is the central intelligence nerve of Inditex located in Spain. And again, like I said before, they technically don't, like legally on paper, they don't have as much vertical integration as, say, Amazon. But the shit that they do control, they control so insanely tightly. Let me read this excerpt from an article. In this room, which is manned 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a team of people track real-time data on every Inditex operation in the world. Every Zara store, every logistics center, Inditex-owned factories, the traffic on its website, all is watched in the form of maps, graphs, tables, and spreadsheet. If a light is left on in Zara's Shanghai store, Someone in this room knows about it. This room is a room in their main central data center. Do you in know Spain. how insane that is? It is that is some like spy shit. It is, and you're. It's kind of like that fucking parent who's just like has like cameras in the living room just to see what you're doing, and cameras in the basement yeah. to make sure you're not doing anything bad. Oh, they literally they use so many. I mean, obviously every store has like camera security cameras, but the extent to which Zara uses in like China, for example, mm-hmm. like any country which has lax laws on that. Because there is like some legal liabilities about like at a certain point this is overreach. Yeah, they will do it as much as they can. They will push as much as possible. Yeah, and one thing that's really interesting to me is their use of RFID technology. That's radio technology. They mm. basically embed every garment with a radio badge, and I think people like kind of know what this is. You know those like clips and little yeah. tags that they put. They on. gotta take out. They gotta take out because it'll make the thing ring. Yeah, that's one thing. But they attach RFID badges to every clothing that they put out because when it goes out they can track like this is how many units left of this are in store right they look at the rate of how fast so let's say there is a bomber jacket right that they are like looking at they're like oh this might do how is this gonna do yeah and they see like within a day of it going out using the rfid tracking it goes out the stores immediately Mm -hmm. they can figure out then like okay we need more we need more let's start producing more yeah people really like this we should start producing things that go with this yeah. or that people who like this would also like they create, put this on the mannequins put this out exactly. in, in in front of the store they use the RFID technology to like really validate and make sure that we know what the fuck is happening in our stores they use the cameras as well they need to track every single thing possible and again they have it's not just the one data center by the way I mean this is what they talked about but I believe there's seven total Damn. but everything goes to the one main one yeah. so there's people constantly on alert 24 hours a it's day it's like a sci-fi thing it's like a sci-fi thing yeah. they're constantly tracking everything and making sure like alright we know what's getting sold yeah. and what's not getting this sold. also helps them forecast for the future too. yes they're like oh okay 
in October, when it starts to get colder, bomber jackets are going more, like mm-hmm. more obviously more of the heavier clothing is going. So now next year rolls around, they're like, oh, by the way, historical data says this, this, this. Yeah. We're going to do that because that worked. And they can use the RFID technology to also track what isn't selling. Yeah. So then and they can like, say right, like, out. we're not going to produce any more yeah. of that. And again, their whole business model works because they're not producing like a shit ton of each thing at once. Yeah. They're producing just enough to like for people to buy. It Pe- creates scar- scarcity. People think that like looking at data and analytics, because I, I look at a bunch of data for my job, for just like spreadsheets and shit, and yeah. it's fucking boring, but yeah. you can pick up trends yeah. and just see, like make better business decisions, but yeah. that's on a business level. Yeah. Like you can actually, it's it's kind of really fucking interesting, but people really just ignore like it. You yeah. know what I mean? Data is powerful. Oh yeah. Data tells you everything. And, and in that same way that like the things that make it interesting also make it pretty dangerous. You know, another interesting thing about data, especially data analytics, is the way that stores are set up. Yeah. So grocery stores, yeah. they literally have... Why do you... Okay, so rec- we, we get it. Receipts are itemized. We use it to like know what we buy. But companies use those receipts to kind of see, oh, okay, so this person, when they bought bread, they bought this, like whatever this beer was, whatever this can was, this code, they bought that with it. So guess what they're going to arrange their store with? They're going to put the bread and that item that normally a lot of people buy together. And also, it's just the way that more grocery stores are set up. It's like, you know how the milk and eggs are on this side of the store and and the bread is like all the way at the other side of the store? Yeah. It's designed that way because they want you to walk throughout and they want you to pass the cookies. They want you to pass the bakery section yeah. and buy it. But that's all because they learned that yeah. from the receipt data yeah. of our shopping behavior. And they're like, oh, okay, when people buy diapers, they also buy beer, you yeah. know? Because like, they're young dads and stuff. They're just coming in. So they put the diapers yeah. and beers together. You're like, that's a weird combo, but that it works. It's the that what they, that's, the that's what diagrams they I saw of Zara stores were also the same thing. They carefully construct everything to make sure that... Certain things are put out there. Certain things are adjacent to other things. Yeah. I mean, and on some level, like, that is just good business sense. Like, if you're making a business, yeah. you want things to sell, you yeah. want to do it a certain way, right? But it's it's a little bit, I guess, scary. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit, like, weird and unsettling to think about, like, how much of everything is dictated just for the profits of, like, a giant company that is watching everything constantly. Mm-hmm. We're kind of turned into, like... Like, people always talk about, oh, we're sheep, we're sheep, we're sheep. But, like, on some level, that's kind of true. Yeah. It's a little weird to think about. Because technology is progressing so much. I mean, we touched on machine learning earlier. Yeah. And a, and a prime example of machine learning is your phone, right? Yes. Every morning I get into the car, my phone, like, I literally looked down at my phone to put it on the charge, on, on the little charger, and it's, like, 33 minutes to work. Yeah. I get home from work, I go in, yeah. change, I come back yeah. out, and it's, like, 10 minutes to your gym. Yeah. Literally, sometimes when I get in the car, it knows on the weekend, it literally gives me your address. Yeah. It's like 40 minutes. <laughs> it gives me, it's like 40 minutes from Saad's yeah. house. And I'm like, That's funny. holy shit. It's, 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 learning my, it's learning my motion yeah. and my daily routine. It's crazy. So I, I, we talked a lot about, you know, using data and controlling everything. One of the things, and this is kind of scary, and this is where I'll, I'll admit, like, this was hard for me to do research on. And the fact that it was hard for me to do research on is kind of part of the problem. Because mm-hmm. they said, we control everything. There's a Shanghai store with the light on, everything, right? That pretty clearly, implicitly also applies to their factories. And yeah. like where the garments are made. Like the Bangladeshi works, for yep. example, right? Here's the thing. You can find examples and like details of this information and interview information about like the stores like oh just how we set it up we use rfid technology because like that's like on face value it seems like oh that's okay right it's like they're just tracking their products 
obviously this would have to extend to like worker control and factory control and my god let me tell you i looked for hours for like more detailed information on that and that is so much harder to find yeah because oh, they don't want it to be out because if that gets out there that's damning yeah but again this is where like you just need to like not just take what they tell you at face value and interrogate a little bit yeah that like has to happen and the fact that it's not happening and i think there's some serious negligence on the part of like reporters yeah talking about the stuff who like just don't really like address that it's like if you're telling me that you control everything with that degree of precision why can't you tell me what the workers are doing yeah or, like what what's what are the statistics what's like on that one of the things i was looking for was what kind of software they're are they using what kind of technology are they using because zara well inditex specifically insists that it's all in-house because you know when you're talking about tech there's a lot of cross collaboration between different tech platforms so i was eventually able to find some stuff in some institutions and organizations organizations that they're partnering with so for example inditex is partnering with mit they mm. have a i think 4 billion or 4 million well, there's a huge difference between 4 billion, four <laughs> yeah. billion. Yeah. it's it's for something yeah. so that's a lot of money it's money it's a collaboration with MIT's institute for data systems and society so basically they're going to create grants and they're going to donate a lot of money for ai learning predictive analysis pattern behavior learning yeah. cuz zara has a vested interest inditex has a vested interest in seeing this kind of technology grow yeah. to make their business model better yeah on face value you're like oh they're giving back to a I'm not going to say normal college because MIT is insane. Yeah, MIT. But it's like, oh, they're giving back and they want to progress this. It's like, yeah, but it's going to benefit yeah. them at the end. On the same level, they are collaborating with JetLore. JetLore is a company, a startup, a tech startup produced by Stanford computer science students in 2008. And their specialty is retail prediction analysis. Using metadata to predict what consumers will buy next JetLore was bought out by PayPal in 2008 and put as part of PayPal's larger marketing subsection because basically PayPal wants to use the technology from JetLore to better understand the retail patterns of people who buy from the companies, the companies that use PayPal's processing patterns. And now Zara is collaborating with With them them. to make sure that that shit is up to snuff. Golly. Zara is spending so much money, wherever they can, on investing in tech. Mm -hmm. I am trying to find more. It's really hard because, because frankly, journalists don't do their due diligence and ask these kind of fucking questions. They ask like dipshits if like, how does your business model work? It's like, we get it. It's like, oh, where, where's your money going? And, but they, then they don't really scratch more in, yeah. underneath the surface. What are you doing to release your carbon footprint? Oh, we're, we're using plastic straws. That's really good. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank we're, you. We're, we're investing in tech. Oh, great. That sounds great. And the, they don't figure the, it out. The fact that this stuff is hard to find is telling. Oh, yeah. They, they don't want you to know how much of everything is like being under control. So, they, they control the narrative. And so I want to hit back that point on the Brazil thing mm. where they said, Oh, third-party contractor. We don't know what's going on. Let's square that circle somehow. Your business model, in fact, they're very proud of saying this, is all about we control everything that we produce and own. Mm -hmm. We monitor everything. Not a single fucking thing happens without our foreknowledge. How the fuck do you not know what's happening in one of your main factories? I smell a whole lot of bullshit. It's a whole lot of bullshit. One of the other things that comes up a lot is small-time designers. 
Zara has a statement on there that they don't like to work with major designers or major brands very often. And the way they spin it is, oh, we like to give exposure and room and work to like the the small guy. Right. You know, I'm not I'm not giving money to what's a bougie ass restaurant? A bougie restaurant? What's a bougie famous restaurant? I'm not, oh I'm not I'm not going to Salt Bay. Yeah, that's literally my mind went to Salt Bay. Uh, I'm going to the mom and pop steakhouse, right? Right. And that and then people are like, oh wow, that's so good. They're giving back to like small time fashion industry people. Again, let's let's connect the dots. Let's like thread this a little bit more. I think pretty clearly the reason they don't do that is because when you have a brand or a designer that has clout and weight, yeah. they can negotiate they more. They push it. They can push it. They, they use can, their weight. They use their weight. It's going to make the Zara business model harder to do because the Zara business model is all about like, I can do shit quickly, quickly, yeah. quickly, quickly, if quickly. If you're an up and coming fashion designer, you haven't hit your mark yet. Yeah. And someone from Zara reaches out and like, hey, we're interested in collabing with you. We want you in our stores. This is the rate. And you're not going to go back to them and be like, oh, no, can I get more? They're going to be like, hey, listen, buddy, yeah. we're going to put you in our stores. Yeah. Take it or leave it. And and then they that way they get exactly what they want yeah. at the price they want. And plus, they they have new products. Yeah. You know, they're not going after anyone else's products. Yeah. It's just fast, fast, fast for them. Versus, let's say, a Virgil Abloh, like off-white yeah. guy or whoever, right? They can't do that because then it's like, oh, you got to negotiate like a profit shanger game with yeah. them. And, and they like, keep oh, the but I want to put out something in two weeks. How the fuck can I do it if I had to like negotiate the legality of it? So again, exploitation. Are, it's exploitation. Yeah. If they can't exploit you and, and, and control you, they're not going to work with you. Yeah. Anyways, so we've been ragging on Zara a bit. Let's just hit Shein. Shein. Sheesh. Real quick. Uh, apparently it's a Chinese company. Yeah, which uh, I, I didn't, I didn't know fucking about. know. It started in 2008. It was called She Inside, I think. <laughs> yeah, She Inside. Uh, me Inside. Yeah, me too, baby. Hey, yo. Talk to this brother, will you? I think he can still be saved. And they focus on women's apparel, affordable apparel. Eventually, they rebranded. The owner, Chris, is XU, so I'm assuming it's Shu or Zhu. Yeah. I have no idea. His original name is Yang Tian. He was born in America, by the way. Studied at Washington University. Okay. He opened his company in China. Most of the production happens in China. Of course. The problem with Xi'an is that for all the stuff that I found out about Zara, and there was also a lot of stuff I couldn't find out about, Mm. Xi'an is even more in the dark. It's way harder to find because they just do not share anything. They don't disclose anything. I found some stuff about like their funding rounds like for venture capital. A lot of venture capital behind them of course. But I guess we again we can hit some of the same things that we hit with Zara because again a lot of stuff we talk about with Zara is not unique to them. That's how fast fashion works. But I want to approach it from a slightly different angle with Shein. So I'm going to read a article. However, faced with soaring demand, Zhu, the Chris Zhu guy, Switched from sourcing via Guangzhou. Guangzhou is where they're located. Mm-hmm. Xianxiang Garment Wholesale Market and created an in-house design team. And within two years, he had built an 800-strong army dedicated to designs and prototyping for ultra-fast production. So again, third parties are unreliable for the fast fashion model because you have they to want like, it wait. Fast. You want it fast. Yeah. You do it in-house, you can control them. And you kind of exploit the labor turnaround as much right. as you want. When Xi'an moved its supply chain operations center from Guangzhou to Panyu in 2015, almost all the factories it worked with relocated. 
Sheehan and the hundreds of factories that work with the company have gathered together in production cluster bearing many similarities with the A Coronia in northeast Spain, where Inditex's headquarters are surrounded by its upstream and downstream suppliers. Again, the article makes a direct link. Like, Sheehan's model is turning into the Zara model. Yeah. Where the supply chain is like extremely related or closely related, like yeah. geographically. Geographically. It's because it's all about yeah. speed. And the difference, though, and the reason why Sheen is like overtake because both Zara, like fast fashion in general during the pandemic, shot up. The label laws in China are generally more lax. So, given the fact that Sheen is based in China, yep. whereas Zara has to like go to other countries, mm-hmm. the reason China is able to put out so much more in a higher um, rate than even yep. Zara is because they're in fucking China. They're yep. like in the country which has very lax laws. Yeah. That's why they're able to turn out a lot more. And that's really, unfortunately, all I have to say per Sheehan because there isn't much there. Yeah. The only thing I'll say is, again, in regards to the factories, and we kind of touched on this point, is that per item, the profit that the manufacturers get is very low, yeah. right? Like a couple cents. But the volume that they put out is so high that they ends up being worth it for them. Mm-hmm. But like I said before, because the volume of production is so high, they can't work with any other company besides Shein. We can't meet Shein's quotas unless we're only doing Shein. Yeah, exactly. So effectively, even if it's not legally vertical integration and ownership, it essentially is. Functionally, it might as yeah. well be. It, it, it's, it's operating in that manner. And honestly, let's just let's just dumb it down real quick, right? Mm-hmm. About like us not knowing much about what Shein's doing in yeah. their offices and factories. Ladies and gentlemen, it's it's kind of just like you want to see your partner and they'd be like, hey, why are they hiding their phone from me? Hey, oh. like what's what's in there? You know, oh. like what's what's in your phone and they're not telling you. Mm. You can you can guess it's not yeah. good. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's they're being secretive about it. Yeah, there's no if there's nothing bad happening. There shouldn't be any secrets. There's a whole legal dispute right now because obviously they sell to the UK mm-hmm. and the UK is a lot more stringent about like, oh, we need like reports and details yeah. and audits. Sheehan has not disclosed the reg, the necessary labor information to the UK, and there, there's kind of a legal dispute about that right now. America does not give a shit about that. No. America's like, ah, you can, ah, we don't give a shit. No, which is fucking insane. American companies will. We talked about it earlier. We, they put in on their websites is like, oh, our labor laws are in accordance with every country we work with within that. It's like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Bangladesh labor law started like 11 years old. Like yeah. that, that's child labor, it's basically. Like it's like you're not wrong. Like, sure, you're following it, but it's the, the thing wrong. you're following is bad. Yeah. Those are the two main companies that people think of with fast fashion. There's others. A lot of information we presented here, I yeah. think, can be extrapolated to those ones. So, one thing I think we should talk about. Mm-hmm. This has been informational. Yeah, well, a lot of information. A lot of information. Uh, and we didn't even get into shit with, like, copyright and stealing from small time. Design. Like, these giant companies can just steal from But small that's something designers. people already know, right? People already like, know. And it's like big, you, the big companies step on little companies, and yeah. that's how Not even goes. little companies. Like, just, like, an individual independent designer. Yeah. And you can't really do anything about it because, no. like, are you going to sue them? Good luck. Yeah. They're going to... Yeah. Eh. It sucks. We need to get... This is a moral issue, though. 100%. We're not only just talking about the people in the factories. I wanted to turn this on to us, right? Have we gotten desensitized to the plight of these workers? Yes. Right? Because we're talking about, oh, Bangladesh, in Africa, in the the factories in Mexico and Brazil. But this shit happens in our backyard, too, mm-hmm. right? With 
Amazon drivers. Yeah. We know how bad those those conditions are. But now on the internet, it's it's a meme. Mm-hmm. We see them. It's like, yo, Amazon's working this motherfucker. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when someone's working too hard, it's like, damn, you're working like an Amazon employee. Or like we've yeah. we've memed this, and I think it's a really sad place we're heading down because it's all about what it's all about satisfaction for us. Yeah, and and I say us specifically because it is our generation that mm-hmm. has kind of held up Zara, Sheen. Like yeah. it's it's been the past twenty years where these companies have fucking boomed, mm-hmm. and that's us. Yeah, that's our generation. Yeah. How much does that fall on our shoulders? That gets into question of ethical consumerism. Yeah. You you buy the way you buy is an example of good practice. Mm-hmm. If you buy from the right places, that's going to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. That's the thesis of ethical consumerism. I mean, the problem is that the goal... Can it be practiced? <laughs> can it be practiced? Because, again, the goal of these companies is domination and market control. At a certain point, they control everything. You, where do you go for ease of access for like clothing on demand you know it's it's hard i i don't put it on any individual person Mm -hmm. to be the because it can't that's this whole concept of buying with your wallet it doesn't work Mm -hmm. it it actually it doesn't work unless it's done in a collective large-scale manner yeah and we there's no way that everyone can possibly be on the same we can all agree and be on the same page like we're gonna do this we're doing this with intent yeah it's hard because again for some people it's like you're also getting swept up by the advertisements and like FOMO from Instagram. Yeah. And then also another thing is, it's like, say, say we do that and we get Shein and Zara to stop this factories in other like lower, lower countries, yeah. right? Their prices are going to shoot up and people aren't fortunate enough. Cause like I've, I've looked on Shein, bro. Shirts are like $10, $14. Dresses are like $13. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's, Ethical consumerism, we've touched on this before, is extremely hard. Because even if you do try to do it, there's another company out there that's going to be doing the same also, thing. Also, another point to that, and we kind of hit on this with the Bangladesh thing with the COVID stuff right at the start. The moment they start feeling pushback, the companies are like, okay, how do we save on profits? Because we're we're not getting profits right now because people don't want to buy. Right. Firing a bunch of workers. A bunch of like the poor people that were ostensibly trying to do this for are going to get hit by this and get hit even hard because they're just going to lose their job. Yeah, because now we want to be more ethical and they're like, all right, fine. And then 80% of their exports, Bangladesh. What what are are those folks going to do? Yeah, that's why I never understand like people who like boycott for like forced labor stuff because like, you know, they're just going to fire them and then their living situation would be worse. It, It doesn't... We don't have the answers. No, we don't. That's the hard part. We can kind of turn it back into that... This is obviously it's a function of capitalism, but capitalism can only survive if there is that population getting yeah. stepped on yeah, and getting treated like yeah. shit. I, I need you all to think about this. The ability for you to get like that nice, cute outfit within a couple of days is a convenience afforded to you by the hard work of somebody else yeah. across the seas. Yeah. Every service and luxury that you enjoy in life, that's coming from somebody who's getting paid way less than you a regular service worker yeah everything you want comes from their work yeah. so who the fuck are you to like step on them? exactly and you can all i ask me personally is just to be aware that that's how the world operates yeah like don't turn a blind eye to it because it makes us feel better yeah that's just that's that shit is real it's happening out there and the way to counteract that because i honestly i consumer eth- uh ethical consumerism is a good concept but i don't think it, it can ever be practice. practiced i don't think it can be practiced but 
what you can do is offset it. Yeah. Maybe with your other deeds. Nobody has the right answer for no. this. This is a very difficult thing. Because again, any action that sounds good in theory, there's a backlash to it. Yeah. And you always have to account for like, oh, what are the unintended consequences? So that's a grim way to end. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's that's kind of our deep dive on fast fashion. I would like to come back to this more. Maybe one day we get more information on, again, I think the tech side is very damning and interesting. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, and that's also where they're the most shady, which is like telling. But, uh, you know, hopefully we talk about something really nice for episode 20. Yeah, a little bit more fun. End of our, our season two, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Damn, I'm sad now. I'm about to <laughs> yeah, we got we to gotta talk. I'm going to nap and think about my life. Right. This has been episode 19. All right. This is Saad. This is Cher. Night. See you.